Are you ready to correct your mistake? Because everybody would like you to. I already did. Okay, well. Did I not? No, cake. You have to give cake a shout out. I did. Well, uh, people still need you to understand <laughs> that it was cake. I, I feel very bad. I you do. can't make mistakes on the show because they're always listening. I, I thought you if you correct yourself very quickly, you'd avoid the scorn. <laughs> I do apologize, though, to both Cake and Beck. I'm Four sure letter word. Every, I mean, it's close, and there's there's a K in both, and there's a K in both. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there a C. Is. Yeah, there is. Well, you're half the letters. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's an honest mistake. And there's Justin. an E too. It's one letter off. Oh my god. Good spelling today. <laughs> so give Justin uh, some credit. Yes. You know, and you know what? Like cake, you kind of bake a cake, but back, uh, back okay. that's too much. Yeah, I appreciate you trying to help me, but <laughs> one step too far. Okay. Uh, we're going to be joined by Julia Kreutz in a moment here. A late, late game last night, a 10 p.m. start that goes to extra innings when you host a morning show. You got you to gotta figure it out. Like you got to figure out how you get on the radio at 6 a.m., knowledgeable and we had different processes you're a blue jays and 30 guy different levels of knowledge as well you're far more informed i don't think than last that's correct game. i think we're... i think you had a little bit more to offer in the first hour i'll yeah. give you that okay well i appreciate that that's your very george, kind your george springer take was pretty fiery okay it's not fiery. To run that by, Go Julia. take a look at the stats man i did i mean i i, I even corroborated with what you were saying <laughs> corroborated yeah. we I had to make sure. I had to make sure that you weren't uh, making too, things up. Yeah, too aggressive in the direction of George Springer. Well, you know, maybe the best baseballs to be played. Uh, That's I, your spin. I, I, that, that is a good spin, and I do believe that in my heart that the best is yet to come <laughs> for George Springer this season. Um, we do have Chris Bassett on the mound, the Hound Dog tonight. Um, he's just ten and five, three ninety two ERA. We love our Chris Bassett starts. Um, looking to go up two in the series against the Dodgers before they come back home. Against a bit of an enigma in Julio Urias mm-hmm. uh, tonight. Haven't had a great season so no, far. No, but generally a guy who can uh, you know pitch at a very high level. So it seems like the guy, like we were talking about Lance Lynn earlier on, and Lance Lynn has had good major league seasons. Lance Ben Lynn has been. A problem before, but Lance Lynn was only a problem to the Blue Jays this year. So sometimes the guys who just need that get-right game, the Blue Jays present themselves mm. as a get-right situation. They have before. That's I, I think you can corroborate with that if you'd like. Uh, Ferguson, who warmed up for the Blue Jays after uh, Mr. Sticky Pants. <laughs> for the was, Dodgers, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Comes out to Fergalicious. How perfect is that? That is pretty good. You know that song? That's the Tom Brady level. Do you know who level. sings that one? Fergalicious? Yeah. Yeah. Who? Fergie. Not Beck? Not Beck. Cake? Not Beck, not Cake. Um, all right. We have Not Beck, Not Cake, but Julia Kreutz joining us. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Julia, how's it going this morning? Bright and early. We appreciate the turnaround on a late night West Coast game. <laughs> it's going all right. I had to be up anyway. Aww. This does not uh, mean that I, I don't I, that I wouldn't have said yes otherwise, <laughs> but it certainly helped. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, we don't feel as bad then. Uh, we will take all of your time this morning. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, Julia, uh, the Jay Jackson legacy game is what the headlines are saying, what the reporters are buzzing about. Where do you fall in the Jay Jackson legacy game statement from last night? Yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's. It's been really, really cool to see sort of the, the, the journey of Jay Jackson and actually finding a place with mm. this team, finding a role for himself, and more than that, succeeding, thriving. 
it's uh, funny when these relievers come up and, you know, they're not necessarily expected to pitch in high leverage uh, situations, but then when they do and when they do well, it's like, okay, you, you actually can see a future for this guy. And it's not just like he's here for, uh, you know, to, to, to fill out a bullpen. This is actually a guy that has something to offer. And that moment yesterday was huge, mm-hmm. right? There was probably it was probably the the biggest moment of his season, and to see him come through like that, get out of the jam, and be so fired up afterwards, uh, that tells you that this guy is in it. And so, you know, this Blue Jays bullpen has been really as good as you could ask it to be. It's uh, it's funny that you know we talk about other areas in which Toronto should improve or or is not necessarily achieving what is expected of it. And obviously, when you look at the deadline, the Blue Jays would very much benefit from adding another reliever, as any contending team would. But this bullpen has been extremely good. And when you had a a Jay Jackson, a guy who didn't necessarily project to, to be a big part of it, and now all of a sudden he is thriving in these moments, that can be just as good, honestly, as a trade deadline addition. Yeah, it does seem like found money at the moment. Uh, the guy's 35 years old. Uh, the path here clearly was not uh, the smoothest of all time. It was even a bit of a weird year with him coming up, getting absolutely shelled by Aaron Judge and on his way back down on the bus talking to, I believe it was yeah. Ken Rosenthal and saying, yeah, I was tipping my pitches. I was, it was me. It was definitely me. Like you're defending Aaron Judge. I was like, all right, but you want to come back up here? But he has come back up here and he's done an incredible job. So what does this mean here? Do we? Uh, is it just more leverage, more big spots? Are we talking? talking about someone who's going to be uh, taking on a bigger role under John Schneider because he is a little bit reluctant sometimes to just thrust everything uh, or new responsibility on new guys. Uh, Do you expect him to be just as convinced as, I guess, everybody else around the Blue Jays? Yeah, it's funny because obviously situation played a big part in Jay Jackson being in that moment, right? Jose Barrios only going five innings really did open a door and, and this game going... Uh, to extra innings the way that it did, it opened the door for Jay Jackson to sort of shine. Does that mean that now he is automatically a high-leverage arm? No, it doesn't. We we are still talking about a small sample size for Jay Jackson, but we have seen more success than uh, issues with him. So the natural progression here, and something that we also saw with Nate Pearson a little bit, is trusting Uh, these guys a little bit more when the situation presents itself. And that should, down the line, uh, open some more avenues for more more high leverage uh, inning. But knowing John Schneider and the way that he manages this team, uh, our uh, colleague Sho Ali likes to talk about the circle of trust in the bullpen. Mm. We know that he values that a lot, right? So you have guys like Eric Swanson, you have guys like Tim Meza, Jordan Romano obviously enters Uh, that realm as well. And then you have guys uh, that you can turn to if one of those guys isn't available or if the situation presents itself, such as Jimmy Garcia, Pearson before he went down. Uh, And now it seems like Jay Jackson may slide into uh, that sort of a, a role for the Blue Jays. 
So we also saw the debut of a new Toronto Blue Jay, Genesis Cabrera, um, a lefty who uh, uh, we're short on. So that's great. Uh, pitching a scoreless sixth inning with a, a strikeout. Um, obviously too early to, to write the story of him, but just the addition of that arm and the ability to have a little bit more uh, flexibility in the bullpen. And I guess uh, what you hope to see from him moving forward. Yeah, something the Blue Jays uh, did need, even though if you asked around the front office or the coaching staff wouldn't necessarily point to that, uh, it is something that the Blue Jays were lacking, especially with the way that John Schneider tends to utilize Tim Mesa, who has been lights out, right? We can't say enough good things about Tim Mesa this year, but the sinker-slider combination is not necessarily one that misses a lot of bats. He's not, you know, racking up the strikeouts or anything like that. And he is very much a guy that uh, John Schneider trusts against lefties. We have also seen him, seen him uh, get some success against righties. But Mesa has been used in a more specialized way this season, which is partly, you know, obviously all the credit to him, but it does explain a little bit of his success. Now Cabrera comes in, not only does he give you a little bit more flexibility uh, you know, in, in different things that you can do with this bullpen, but he is also someone who in the big moment may be able to get a strikeout. So it, it was uh, an encouraging sign to see him pitch the sticks. Again, he is going to have to sort of work his way up to uh, the, the, the trust of John Schneider in big moments, but it certainly helps the Blue Jays uh, not only on days when Tim Mays is not available, but also uh, just mixing and matching and playing matchups a little bit more out of that bullpen. Julia Kreutz of MLB.com. Okay, so we find out from John Schneider that Hunjin Ryu probably won't be making an appearance before the trade deadline, uh, which I, I think surprised a couple people with the, I mean, we have been talking about it for a little while that he might be in the rotation um, this week or into the weekend. So how do you think that'll affect what the Jays decide to do one week from now at the trade deadline? Yeah, there's a few factors here. Uh, I will admit that I was surprised with the with the the way that the Ryu uh, conversation went and shifted, right? Because it did seem like he was on track, and we know that the Blue Jays had a uh, you know an up close look uh, at Ryu in Los Angeles. He joined the team there, and there may have been something that was flagged that they said, okay, let's just be a little bit more cautious and. You know, you cannot be too cautious with mm-hmm. Ryu at this point. It's, uh, it's, we know the journey that he's been on. And the most important thing is to ensure that when he takes the mound again, that he can actually take the mound every five days or whatever it is that the Blue Jays ask of him. So uh, I don't have a problem with pushing it or with, uh, you know, being careful here. But it does obviously add a wrinkle to uh, the Blue Jays' Uh, rotation as well as um, you know its plans for for the for the trade deadline. Uh, we saw Kevin Gosman struggle a little bit in his first start out of the break. Obviously, you know he said after the game that it felt like he hadn't pitched in a month, and mm-hmm. we don't expect those struggles to continue. But it does again, you know, shine a light on uh, just how thin the depth is for the Blue Jays rotation, and where are they going to turn if one of these guys goes down? We saw what happened with Alec Manoa, and we saw the struggles that uh, that uh, happened in the, the majors because Manoa wasn't here or couldn't contribute. And with Union Ryu, you know, with the, his return delayed a little bit more. 
And, you know, everything that is sort of implied in that, the Blue Jays would do well to shop for a starting pitcher, right? Mm. It's very clear that they have five men right now, but that could change at any time. And there are no bullpen games in the playoffs, let me tell you. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because Ryu, despite, you know, not getting the start before the trade deadline, which may or may not actually tell you anything about his ability to pitch in big games in September and maybe October. I mean, it just, it it really was, I think, overly optimistic that one start would tell you anything anyway that's going to make a firm decision. But you could get to the point where you just have an abundance of arms. And I wonder what that really means for Alec Manoa, as you mentioned there, like Alec Manoa, if we're going to quote show Ali again, he's firmly in the circle of trust, even when he hasn't earned that on merit. I think this year, I mean, if everything's equal, I think he's going to get the ball every fifth day and the same, you know, uh, repercussions that a guy like Nate Pearson is dealing with may not apply in the same way to Alec Manoa, who's just going to have a lot more rope. And of of course he did go down, but it took a while for them to make that decision. Uh, if they do go out and add, and all of a sudden there's an abundance of arms, does that mean that Alec Manoa then has to perform? Yeah, I think so. And if not in the regular season, for sure, for, for the postseason, I don't think that, you know, the, the, a six-man rotation, for example, would be a short-term solution and one that the Blue Jays would not feel necessarily comfortable rolling out for a long time. But it would sort of buy everyone some time to see where things stand uh, for the postseason. Uh, There's uh, there's no panic around the Blue Jays making the playoffs or not, but once they get there, we know that rotations tighten and things are very much different. And Manoa will be the first to tell you, right? Uh, We all saw what happened in the, the wild card series last year. So it seems like a six man rotation might be an option for now, And it gives him time, again, to maybe figure things out a little bit more or or try to get back to who he is. But come playoff time, and, you know, last year when uh, things went south for him uh, in that game, later on he said, listen, like, I will be ready out of the bullpen for game three, right? Mm -hmm. So he also has that going for him, and I do believe that that helps uh, when, when we talk about trust and when we talk about him having more rope. It's that sort of mentality that has kept him in the conversation. It's, yeah, I'll go out there and I'll do whatever you need me to do. Uh, he pitched relatively well, right, in his, in his last start, certainly a step forward for Manoa. And after the game, he said, I just wanted to make sure that we got a win. So that is partly why uh, Manoa is uh, in the circle of trust, even though performance-wise he hasn't necessarily earned it. And the Blue Jays do believe that he is, uh, you know, always one tiny step away uh, from recovering the dominance that we saw last year. And uh, for everyone's sake, he better. Uh, Talking to Julia Kreutz of MLB.com. Okay, so we'll shift from pitching to batting. George Springer um, has been uh, not George Springer as of late. Uh, Lots and lots of ground out doubles, uh, double plays, his uh, batting average is uh, equal to the eye test. I think there's a lot of frustration with just how George Springer has been leading off this uh, Blue Jays roster and uh, the lineup as of late. Um, I guess my question is twofold. Um, what is the 
main issue uh, with George Springer in terms of his at-the-plate uh, appearances? And also, how long do you think that he will stay at the top of uh, the, ro- of the um, I guess, rotation or the leadoff spot there? Because it's been very consistent for George Springer there, but he hasn't been able to produce anything in that spot. So do you think the Blue Jays do make a more difficult decision to move him down the lineup? Yeah, that's that's a fascinating question, Neelish, and, and one that, um, you know, it has come up, right? Uh, Springer mm-hmm. got off to a pretty slow start uh, to the season as well. And one thing that we don't necessarily expect from George Springer or associate with him is streaky, right? Yeah. It's not really something that you, you would definitely use it to describe a guy like Matt Chapman, but it's not the first word that comes to mind when you talk about Springer, he has been, you know, for the most part, consistent enough to sort of avoid that label. And what we're seeing right now is sort of a downswing again, right? Springer came back from paternity list, uh, hitting everything and looking like himself and sort of bringing a lot of his uh, season numbers up in a way that they hadn't been. And now he's cooled off. Is that reason for concern? I don't think so, because he is still very much, you know, the guy that sets the tone, the guy that uh, is going to be a leader in that clubhouse and who is having a fine season defensively. That said, should they move him down the lineup? Well, that's a a big question, right? How do you tell a a World Series MVP uh, that they're going to try something new? I don't think that Springer would have a problem with that. He is very much an Alec Manoa type of, you know, what, whatever you need from me, just let me know and I'll do it. But also the Blue Jays really like what he has to offer when he's on from that lead-up spot, right? It's not an accident that he has the second most all-time lead-off home run. And just as they believe that Alec Manoa can figure it out, George Springer, let me tell you, is, uh, is going to figure it out a lot easier, a lot more easily than that. So... We know that Schneider likes him in the leadoff spot. We know that this team hasn't necessarily tweaked its lineup and the top of its lineup too, too much. We saw, you know, Vladdy obviously started the year batting third, and now he's batting fourth, and he's pretty firmly in that position right now. If the struggles continue and the Blue Jays, you know, need a change because the wins aren't coming, maybe. Uh, it just uh, it doesn't seem like it's something that necessarily is uh, at the top of the list uh, right now. There is a lot of trust that whatever it is, Springer will Springer will figure it out. Of course, that that can change if uh, if the losses uh, pile on. It just doesn't seem to be the case right now. It's not the last conversation John Schneider wants to have, I'm sure, but it feels like something John Schneider would not want to uh, uh, <laughs> float at. Um, George Springer whatsoever. He's not, he's not in a rock in the boat, it seems, uh, at least so far throughout his tenure. Uh, you mentioned Jay Jackson as a possible or as what equates to a deadline addition, someone who came out of nowhere to maybe form a pretty important part of this pen. Uh, they got another candidate in that vein, and that's Chad Green, who finally threw a baseball, uh, documented at least. Uh, tell us about what's going on with Chad Green. And if he is a healthy Chad Green, what sort of implication that has for the Blue Jays bullpen? Yeah, for Green, this was very much a long-term project for the Blue Jays when they signed him, right? They knew that his recovery from surgery was going to be a while. And if basically if he pitches this year, then it'll be a win for the Blue Jays. Uh, that's 
still a possibility. The uh, projection was that he was going to be back by, say, September. And he is a guy that can add uh, quite a bit of, uh, of quality to this bullpen, not only because he's a swing and miss guy or because he uh, you know, has been in the big moments before, he's a veteran, uh, but also because when we're talking about rounding out that bullpen, adding a guy like Chad Green can do wonders for this team as well, and it may save them some trade shifts down the line to, say, acquire another starter or acquire a bench bat that can actually, um, you know, perform and help out in, in a big way. So what Chad Green represents, if he gets to pitch this year, is just that. Now, if the Blue Jays have to wait another year, that's okay, too, because obviously the window of contention is not closing. And we know that, you know, bullpen is, uh, uh, there, there's a lot of turnover there, let's put it like that. But having that security of we have a Chad Green in our pen for next year, that is, uh, that is reassuring enough uh, for the Blue Jays, who are obviously going to stay in contention next year as well. So it's... Uh, it was really a long-term project. Uh, Ross Atkins in the front office knew that. And uh, with the way things are right now, there's still a lot of positives to, to, to see from Chad Green being on this team. Last one for you this morning, Julia. Um, Shohei Otani in town this weekend pitching uh, at the Rogers Center Friday night in a massive series with implications on both sides, but specifically for maybe the direction that the Angels go with Shohei Otani if they pit, uh, if they play well against the Detroit Tigers the next three games and then they come into town here against the Toronto Blue Jays. It could really be determining if they try to sell or keep him. Uh, just your excitement level of seeing Shohei here at the Rogers Center, um, what that's going to bring, and the pending implications of Shohei uh, in his uh, tenure with the Angels? Listen, I am a huge <laughs> Shohei fan. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I know that that's not necessarily a hot take or anything like that, but uh, do follow him pretty closely, how since he, uh, he joined the league. Mm-hmm. So I got to say, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> it is going to be uh, one of those moments very much when, you know, professionalism and fandom sort of... Um, coexist if you will right it's uh, it's pretty cool to to have those moments and to sort of remember why you got into it right mm-hmm. or why we got into sports this is we are watching history with this guy and that's really really cool uh and when it comes to the angels and what they do i mean we just saw them sweep back to back series and it's amazing how the narrative can, sh- can shift so um quickly Pardon me, they actually didn't sweep the Pirates. They did lose the game there, but they mm-hmm. took the series. And they swept the Yankees, yes. which is uh, good news for the Blue Jays. <laughs> um, but it's uh, the, the narrative around Shohei Otani has been changing, it seems like, every three days or so. So every series the Angels play, there's a, there's a new narrative around will the Angels trade uh, Otani or not. With the way that the AL West has gone and sort of the, the wild card picture, I do believe that, Los Angeles still has a chance to make it. And as long as they have a chance, they are not going to trade Shohei Otani, right? Now, Mm -hmm. that can very much change if things go badly here uh, against Detroit, which is the next series before they uh, they come into Toronto. Again, that's just how the narrative has been, right, around Mm -hmm. Otani. But uh, this very much seems like the best chance the Angels have had at making a, a, a big wave and actually making the postseason. And it would be cool not only for Otani, but also for Mike Trout, 
Yeah. Right. So I would say that whatever chance they uh, they they get here, they should capitalize on it. And that's why I don't think we are going to see a deal for Otani. That and the fact that the package for it would be astronomical. And I don't necessarily know that there's a team in baseball, even talking about the Yankees or, or the Dodgers, that could put together that sort of package and still, or even, you know, the Mets, let's say, but that could put together that package and still contend and not give up too much uh, of its future. If uh, if I'm if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. No, it's uh, certainly a big task. Uh, we could see something we've never seen before, or we can see Shohei continue with the Angels, and uh, maybe some people disappointed, but maybe them make a massive push. Uh, Julia, we really appreciate you coming on this morning after a late night. Enjoy the late baseball this week, and then of course Shohei here at the Rogers Center on Friday. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. We'll chat soon. That's Julia Croyd's Blue Jays Report at MLB.com and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Uh, a reminder, get Wake and Rake submissions in. Uh, the Wake and Rake is back. We are doing the Wake and Rake, of course, to close every show on the Fan Morning Show. Uh, so get your Wake and Rake selections in. I already know what direction I'm leaning. Oh, but we're going to have to make it quick. No, no, uh, I'll, I'll let you, uh, just, I'll let you cap ooh, the Blue suspense. Jays. Uh, but we got to be quick with it because uh, we got a great guest on the other side. We of the sure block. do. We have Matthew Kachuk, Florida Panthers forward, 2023 Hard Trophy finalist. And we are just a few days past a year since the official trade of the Panthers and the Calgary Flames for Matthew Kachuk. What a year it's been for him. What a couple weeks it's been as his brother got married. Uh, looked like a fun time. And he's obviously recovering from a broken, broken sternum. Lots to go through with our next guest and our final guest of the Fan Morning Show, Matthew Kachuk, on the other side of the break. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wrapping up the final block of the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 fan Justin and Ailish. It's a one year and a day or two anniversary of the big trade that happened on a late on a Friday night when everybody <laughs> was offline and it surprised the entire hockey world. Matthew Kachuk traded to the Florida Panthers and he joins us now. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. How's the sternum holding up? Uh, I'm feeling a lot better. It's been a, uh, it's been a few weeks now, or you know, a month and a week, or mm-hmm. whatever since I've uh, since that's happened. So, uh, oof, it, it's taken a little bit of time, but um, you know, I guess it's a good thing that it uh, I have the summer to get better and get back to 100% before camp. How do you even go about healing something of that sort? Probably a lot of rest. You can't move too rapidly. Just just a lot of laying around. Um, no, I mean, I've been able to do stuff, uh, since that and like a lot more, it seems each week. Um, yeah, right now I'm, I'm pretty much back to, back to doing everything that I have before other than a couple of little things and, um, you know, just not overdoing it right now and set myself back, but, uh, so far so good in the recovery process and it just takes time. So, um, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty close. 
Yeah, and you were able to take some shifts in the Stanley Cup final uh, with that injury, which is pretty, pretty impressive and pretty uh, gutsy, to say the least. So you had an incredible first season with the Florida Panthers, uh, and that's not always the case for people uh, who transition, who go to a new team, especially superstars. Maybe there's a bit of a step back. Maybe there's a bit of an adjustment process. Uh, How did you avoid that adjustment process, and why were you so successful in your first year with the Florida Panthers? You know, I just felt it was a really, like, easy transition for me. Like, I don't know if that had to do with, um, you know, my teammates or, you know, the coaches or the style or, you know, just the trainers make me feel comfortable or if it was all the above. But um, it worked great. And, uh, you know, now I'm sitting here, you know, saying how, you know, everything went great for, you know, me and it was easy. But, you know, also with the back of my mind knowing that we are so close and, um, I just, just continuing our goal of finishing the job is what was on our mind next year. So even though everything went, you know, pretty smooth all year this year, it's, we still didn't come out with what we uh, set ourselves out to do at the beginning of the year. But, um, yeah, I, I really couldn't ask for a better change for myself. And like the teammates are so unbelievable. The trainers, and, like it, it really just felt like home the second I got there. It felt like I've been playing there for 10 years you know, first week I got there. So um, everybody's been so great to me um, just to see the support of people outside of the rink as the season went along. And um, during the playoffs was probably one of the favorite time, one of the favorite times of my entire life, just um, being around Fort Lauderdale and just seeing the buzz in the whole city and um, being able to do a bunch of really cool things and, um, you know, meet a lot of cool people. So, um and winning on top of that made it just that much better. So, um, you know, our goal is coming here is, is, you know, probably have a better start to the season than we had. And, uh, yeah, just try to get back to the playoffs and try to do it again. Uh, when you laid out the way you did, you know, a buzz for your team in Fort Lauderdale in Miami, I mean, how could it ever be better than that? But I think a lot of the questions this time last year was why Florida for you? Uh, and, you know, that's that was the question, but... Uh, this team was coming off a President's Trophy victory, so it wasn't like you were searching for a team that was non-competitive, but a lot of people were curious, like why Florida was on the list of teams, why Florida was a destination for you. What did you know that maybe the entire hockey world wasn't aware of about the market, the team, the organization, and the opportunity that you would have there? Well, I think first and foremost was the competitiveness of the team and you know how competitive they're going to be going forward. And, you know, when you look, you know, other than a couple of our free agent signings this year, every single player is in their 20s. So hopefully we can keep going back and back and getting into playoffs and keep giving ourselves a chance and do this for years to come and, you know, hopefully throughout my whole contract, which is why I signed at that time. Um, So I'd say that was the biggest reason. Um, I would say second was probably just hearing how well they treated their players and how great of an organization it was starting with you know, uh, Vinny and Bill and, um, you know, hearing great things about Paul before I even got there. I, you know, talking to all these guys before I got there made a, made a big impact on me. So, um, you know, that was, that was big. And and I think last but not least, and the pretty obvious one is, you know, you get a chance to, to play hockey for a living and probably the greatest place to play hockey down in, uh, down in Florida. So, um, I'm lucky. I feel like, you know, one of the luckiest guys, if not the luckiest in the NHL to be able to, to play in, in that place. And, you know, it truly is the best. So uh, I'm super lucky. 
chatting with Matthew Kuchuk of the Florida Panthers. So the story of, of your team was one of the, the best of the season, I think, you know, kind of squeaking into the playoffs there and then obviously going on this historic run. When did you know that you guys had something special? Um, did your dad's comments in the media, which was hilarious, uh, did that help give you a little boost there, light a fire under the team? But more importantly, like how did you guys rally together, make this incredible run? And what was the turning point that you said that we have something more than what we're giving and it's time to, to really produce? Yeah, I think it was it was throughout the season, like early on, and in, in some of like the, you know, like the December, January, Februarys. I mean, we weren't playing our best at all, but there were a few games where we beat some really good teams. So, like you know, I remember beating Colorado in Colorado, um, beating you know Boston at home twice, and the second time scoring with a few seconds left, and then winning that game. That was a huge change of the season for us, and. Um, you know, obviously going down the stretch and winning whatever it was, seven out of the last eight or six out of the last seven and make it. But I'd say the Boston series is, is my answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew going into the series, like to win the series, we had to win a game in Boston, which we didn't do all season. And we won game two in, in a very, uh, I, I wouldn't say dominant performance, but we just played a really solid game. I think at that point there, we realized that, you know, it's there for us if we if we can do all the right things um, and and prepare and and compete and you know not be scared of this challenge. And uh, I think I learned a lot from our team. Uh, we learned a lot from ourselves in that game too. And and then we got dealt with some adversity going back home and them, you know, playing their two best games of the series against us and just dominating us. So then we go back to back to Boston and with our back against the wall, having to win a game and, and winning that game five. I think that was a turning point um, for us. Just uh, once we won that game, we knew they didn't want to come back to Florida for a game six. And we knew that if they had to come back for a game six, there was going to be a game seven. So I think when we won that game five, we knew we were winning that game six. Didn't matter how. Um, and then, you know, game seven, anything can happen. So uh, definitely that Boston series is where um, I think we all realized that we have something here. Yeah, that's when you got everyone's attention, uh, of course, and and uh, Sergey Bobrovsky also coming in mm-hmm. at that point, and that has everyone's attention. And maybe that didn't change things for you internally, but externally, it definitely, uh, you know, once we saw Sergey Bobrovsky playing at the level he was at, we're like, okay, you, uh, there's definitely something there if he can hold up uh, that end of the bargain. Uh, not to say you didn't have great goaltending at times in Calgary, but I feel like uh, Sergey Bobrovsky's performance. Uh, over the playoffs was probably the best goaltending you've seen, or at least from a teammate. Uh, it was pretty remarkable. His story, his bounce back, and what he delivered to the Panthers. One thousand percent. I I, uh, I haven't seen that. Um, I don't even know if I've seen that on TV. Uh, to be honest, so he was uh, he was just amazing, and and gave us a chance to win every night. I know there was probably a few games. Um, not to say that we didn't deserve to win, but. Um, you know, we knew we had him, so he could be able to weather the storm for, you know, 15, 20 minutes uh, of the game while we were, you know, maybe stuck in the mud a little bit and then give us that chance to get that timely goal where it would kind of, you know, frustrate the other team. And um, he was so good, so good all uh, all playoff series long, all playoffs long. And um, we're just super lucky to, to have him. And I can't wait to, to see him next year. I think he's going to continue right where he left off. And, and, and do that from the start, and it's going to be great for us. 
So let's move through your run through the playoffs a little bit. We just uh, touched on Boston. Let's touch on the Toronto Maple Leafs and the second round. Uh, We discuss on this show clearly all the time what it is to be a Maple Leaf, uh, what it is to be a Maple Leaf in a Stanley Cup playoff series. What's it like being on the other side? What's it like playing the Toronto Maple Leafs in a playoff series? What's it like being, you know, the perfect foil where there's all this attention and all this pressure on one side and you have all the confidence in the world in yourself, in your team, in your goaltender, in what you guys are doing and you guys are winning. What was it like being in that situation where you were beating the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, I think it's, it's um, you know, they're obviously such a great team and, and playing in Toronto, um, you know they're they're excellent at home. And since I've been in the league against them, they've uh, I can't tell you if I've won many games there. Um, but we just had a lot of confidence, and it was like a short turnaround from the Boston series, so we were kind of riding that high. Um, and we know that you know some of the motivation is you know the market there in Toronto is is uh, you know it's a very roller coaster market. So um, we know. If, you know, once one bad thing happens, you know, it can, it can really, uh, you know, become a lot bigger thing than what it actually is. Whereas, you know, the, our mindset was, you know, if something bad happens, just forget about it and keep playing. We're in trial. That's kind of impossible for that to happen. You know, it's, it's talked about for, for, you know, on every single news station or whatever. So, um, I think that, uh, we kind of use some of that to our advantage and, uh, yeah, got off to a great start there, winning games one and games two, and after that, the seemed like you know the 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 sky might have been falling a little bit for them, and um, you know the, probably the hardest one of the hardest games we've had this year in our whole playoff run was that game three in uh, in uh, in Florida, knowing that you know winning this game is you know a good chance of putting them away, um, and if you know they win that game, they have you know life now in the series that's you know one thing we didn't want to give them or their top players but they're an excellent team um i thought that game uh bob was unreal those you know games one and two and then going into game three he just kept being awesome and and you know we obviously got a huge ot goal by rhino there and um just a great performance by everybody but um you know winning that game was was huge and then um that game five too i thought we played just a, one of our best games of the playoffs as well and um, you know, they tied up late. You'd think that would rattle some teams. It was like the opposite for us. And um, we were just such a resilient team all playoffs long. And then Cuzzy with an unreal, uh, unreal goal in overtime. And probably one of my favorite goals I've, uh, I've ever been a part of. So to see live. So that was, that was really cool. So then uh, conference finals, you sweep the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, you're rolling your way through there. I think something that we, we love most from that series is the bus and 10, the trademark uh, line that I think they're selling T-shirts. Uh, you guys are just rolling and uh, obviously led by yourself in that sense. But the bus and 10, the fun that was around that series, really getting to sweep, uh, what doesn't happen often, but sweep another team. At that point, uh, it seemed like you guys were, were pretty unstoppable. What was that series like for you? Yeah, it was a very close series. Each game was each game was by one goal, and uh, yeah, they played. You know, the their 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 classic Hurricanes hockey. You know, like really hard to play against in your face, throwing pucks on net from everywhere. So we definitely had to be ready. It was a very different type of series than playing against you know uh, Boston, Toronto, and then Vegas. So um, we definitely had to be ready for that. Um, I, I felt we were. We handled it you know as good as we could have. And, 
how we were led by Bob. He, he played awesome that series and, and gave us a chance to win um, each and every each and every game. So uh, that was a very fun series. It was, uh, you know, each game was super close. It wasn't, uh, I guess, a totally lopsided series. But um, at the end of the day, there were some you know timely goals and some huge saves by Bob. So that was great. Uh, Ayla said they're selling T-shirts. I hope it was trademarked by you so you could profit <laughs> off that because it was uh, one of the moments of the playoffs for sure. Uh, last week would be Vegas, uh, and they were a hell of a team, uh, clearly beating the Edmonton Oilers the way they did. Dallas was formidable, and, of course, you guys were as well. What was different about the Vegas challenge? And, of course, you were shortchanged a little bit being hurt, uh, but what was different about that team than the other teams you faced this year? Yeah, they were great. They uh, they definitely... Um... You know, we're the better team that series. I think that's that's pretty obvious. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was a totally different challenge than than Boston or Toronto. Um, they they were a different team than Carolina, so um, maybe it took us a little bit to kind of get back to the mindset of playing the other teams. But they uh, they were great. They they played us really hard. They had I think the biggest difference with their team was their 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 four lines were were better than each. Oh, the worst sound in the radio business. We didn't get to the good stuff yet either. The Skype. The, uh, the brother's wow, wedding. Wow, wow. Uh, hopefully we can get Matthew could chuck back quickly. See if we can. Quickly. We get a couple minutes, but he did have his brother's wedding. We were going to ask him How about, about a fragmented wake and rake? And I'll just give you my pick quickly while we reconnect with Matthew Kachuk, or at least try to reconnect with Matthew Kachuk. I think they're trying. They have a, they've given me the one finger sign, which means momentarily. Okay, start building the parlay. I'm picking the U.S. It's women. Wednesday morning. I'm picking the U.S. women at the World Cup tonight. Is it not? It's Wednesday night. Sorry. It's Wednesday night. We will rebuild. Okay. We'll bring we Matthew Kajak back on. Uh, hey, Matthew. Sorry about that. Uh, I don't know what whose end it was on, but nonetheless, we got you for a couple more minutes. Um, we'll we'll ask you about uh, your brother's wedding because we want to get some of the fun stuff that I know you've been able to celebrate a little bit this this uh, off season, and that's a big accomplishment for your brother to get married. Um, how was that? And uh, we saw some social media content. Look like you guys had a lot of fun. Yeah, we. Uh, it was you know, one of my one of my favorite weekends I've been a part of. It was, <laughs> it was such a great time. We we're yeah, definitely telling people to to keep it as you know low key and hush hush <laughs> as uh, as they could have. But uh, uh, we'll blame it on uh, maybe we'll blame it on some of Emma's friends. We're we're mm-hmm. posting some stuff. I can't see many <laughs> of the guys posting stuff. So um, still haven't figured out who's who's leaking it all. But um, no, it was a lot of fun and. And so happy to, to welcome Emma to our family, and and uh, yeah, it was they put on such an such an awesome wedding. So definitely one of the, my favorite weekends I've ever had. Assuming you shared a beer with Mark Stone, what was that conversation <laughs> like? Um, well, no, I've known Stoney for a bunch of years through Brady, and and he's a he's a great player, and and you know, arguably a better guy. So um, it was it was good to catch up with him um, just after. You know, these, these long seasons, I've seen him um, throughout the summers uh, for a few years now. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, we, we weren't talking, you know, hockey like you guys probably think we were. But, <laughs> you know, little little things here and there and just, uh, I mean, you know, obviously would have loved for it to be me. And I know we're going to get back there. But, uh, you know, he, he was deserving. They, you know, they were better than us. So there's nothing, not, not like we can you know, say they didn't deserve it. So, um, you know, he's a, he's a really good guy. And, and uh, yeah, seeing him throughout the summer here with Brady's bachelor party and then uh, and then the wedding here this weekend. So, um, yeah, it's good to catch up. 
Okay, last one for you, and we appreciate you reconnecting and, and joining us for the final couple minutes here. Um, your brother, uh, we had a conversation with earlier this year. He said that you were the smartest player in the league. If you were to attach a superlative to your brother, what you know, what how he stands above everybody else league wide, where would you go in that direction? I, I don't know. I would say that he's probably the the best power forward, like the best, you know, natural power forward in the league right now. Um, with his size, his strength, he keeps getting bigger. He keeps getting faster. You know, he keeps getting stronger. Um, and I can't picture many people being able to play uh, match up against him this coming year from, from what I've seen. So, um, you know, I'm expecting great things from him. He, he, he continues to work on, um, the parts of his game that uh, are going to help, uh, you know, turn him into, you know, one of the best. So, um, you know, not, you know, he already is right up there, but I think you're going to continue seeing him, you know, jump up the ranks because he's, uh, he's got what it takes and, and he's determined and he's determined to, you know, to try to get, uh, you know, Ottawa into the playoffs here. He's been talking about it all, all summer, ever since, uh, you know, seeing the run we kind of had down in Florida, I know it's just motivated him. I know he's really happy for me, but I know it's motivated him a lot. So, um, you know, he's going to be ready to go. So the game's against him this year. Uh, I know the guys on my team, I'll be making sure they're ready for it because he's going to be tough to play against. Well, we can't wait to uh, watch the season ahead. Uh, appreciate you coming on this this morning. Uh, best of luck with the recovery. It sounds like you're right on the cusp of being back to full health. So keep that up, and uh, congrats on a great season, and we will see you shortly when the puck drops for this upcoming year. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. That's Matthew Kachak, Florida Panthers forward, Hart Trophy finalist, and uh, party hard at his brother's wedding with the rest of them yeah yeah there was a rule i guess on social media but not everyone followed we should hit the wake and rake and we should actually get our date stretch uh dates right excuse me uh, let's hit the wake and rake now wake up now it's time for wake and rake you could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy show me the money with Ailish and Justin. You had a good idea. Man, but it, I was so fired up about that pick, it too. It didn't work out, Minus did 140 for the U.S. women. I'm putting it in now. That's my pick for tomorrow. Okay, Spoiler well. Spoiler alert. What's going to be your other pick? My other pick? I'll go Bassett. <laughs> Why don't you go first? I'll go first? Bassett over five and a half strikeouts. The hound dog are you, are on you the just, mound. Are you just Blue Jays pitcher strikeouts? Uh, just because I went back to back doesn't mean that that will be my thing forever, but I do feel confident in Chris Bassett. Blue Jays are plus 133 in the money line, too, which I like, but... Let's go simple with Bassett, who is a strikeout king. So Because I am team trade Otani, okay. and because Eduardo Rodriguez is about the best the Detroit Tigers can offer, <laughs> I'm going to take the Tigers minus 125 at home wow. against the LA Angels. Okay. Interesting choice. Let's go with um, some of our picks here. We've got Verlander over five and a half Ks. That's Curry or Chris. Corey from Port Hope says uh, under eight and a half in the Reds and the Brewers game. And then we have Verlander over strikeouts. That's Goober from Orangeville. Yeah, that's an interesting game. Uh, Verlander in or at Yankee Stadium tonight. Uh, I guess there'll be Should some eyes that? on that one. Got two picks for Isn't that. Isn't Verlander in a real rough Well, spot maybe this year? he has to prove himself. Maybe he's trying to strike out his way out of New York in a big spot at Yankee Stadium. So let's do it then. Okay. Two picks for the same thing. You gotta, you kind of gotta ride the wave. Oh, here. you do. Yeah, we got double. Bassett over strikeouts. Verlander over strikeouts. And Detroit Tigers on the money line. What a selection! Plus six forty-three for your wake and rake today. I like it a lot. I'm so rattled about the U.S. women. Yeah, you know what? It's okay, Justin. Tomorrow we'll have. Uh, 
the World Can- uh, World Cup Canada continues their campaign against Ireland. That'll be at 8 a.m., so we'll be live on the air. We'll be able to, you know, split screen it a little bit, see what's going on with the Canadians as they try to bounce back from a draw to Nigeria, and then they play their final round-robin uh, game against Australia next week on Monday morning. That's a 6 a.m. start, so it just perfectly aligns with the fan morning show. Yeah, it is good. It's good timing, although we will know a lot about where this World Cup is going mm. uh, tomorrow uh, because it is a very, very important one for the Canadian women. Uh, they've got to get a result, or it is going to be really, really difficult to advance yes, the World Cup. it will be. Uh, we'll have all that tomorrow. Uh, Blue Jays back in action for a little 10 p.m. start again. But then they're at 4 p.m. on Wednesday for you. So you only have to do two days of the late night viewing, early morning experience. And Angels are in town. As we said, Friday, you got Shoei Otani on the bump. A very big weekend for both the Blue Jays and the Angels and all the fans that are going to try to get tickets um, for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the Rogers Center. That was a fun show. We're back in our studio, which we love. And we'll be back tomorrow morning on your Wednesday. Tee up Canada's endeavors at the World Cup. And one more game of the Blue Jays-Dodgers series. We'll chat with you tomorrow morning.